You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that Would you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord God, we thank you that you have brought us again to your house of prayer and praise. And like Herod in our stories, we receive your words gladly even when we find them perplexing. Resolve that perplexity in us, O Lord. Help us to learn your word aright, that it may transform our minds, that we might be conformed to your word and to your will, rather than to the spirit of our age. This we pray in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I was having lunch with an old friend. And when I say old friend, I mean old friend. Like back to kindergarten. You don't have many friends you track with that long in a lifetime. Uh, And it's great. We see each other every couple years. We get in the same city and we have lunch together. And um, uh, our lives have taken very, very different courses. And uh, at one point in our conversation, he was a... He seemed to be afraid I was going to veer into talking about God because that's what I do. (laughs) And uh, he wanted to forestall that very clearly. So he said, you know, you know, I I believe in God. He was making it clear that I wasn't to go any further down that track. (laughs) That was as much as he wanted to, to, to talk about that subject. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Like God has nothing better to do than just hang around someplace and hope somebody of that seven billion on that one isolated planet believes in him. The prophets knew better. See, St. James tells us that even the demons believe and tremble. That's not the kind of belief we're called to. (laughs) We're called to a belief that is trusting in what God is doing, and that requires knowledge of what he's doing. The prophets came to bring that knowledge to God's people. And their message was generally not welcomed. Alyssa, I'm going to take over the control of that, so I'll need you to click on that side for me. All right, there we go. A prophet came with a word from God that was generally going to be an affront to people. They were sent because the people, even the people of God, were off track. And so in today's readings, we get to see what happens to two prophets. Amos is facing banishment. John's resolution is a little more, you know, permanent. (laughs) Prophets, a prophet's reward is generally an unpleasant thing. I had a colleague in my first call, live uh, a church near ours, and he liked to boast when we would get together in pastor's meetings about, I preached prophetically this weekend. 
he was kind of progressive, and what he meant was he was cover he he was basically saying something he knew would be unpopular with his congregation. It's not speaking prophetically. Unless you have the endorsement of the eternal word of God. And your sermon is followed by something like this. Pastor, could you uh, come meet with the council and could you bring everything in your desk with you? <laughs> Prophets had unpleasant ends. We saw John the Baptist's today. This is uh, on the right side, you see a tapestry from the Middle Ages. That's what happened to Isaiah. Banishment, scorn, ridicule, death. These are a prophet's reward for being true to the Word of God, bringing the people the word they need to hear because they're in grievous danger. But the Word is unwelcome. Jesus. Jesus is also a prophet. In fact, Jesus is the fulfillment of the three great offices of the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. These are the three offices whereby the government of God's people, Israel, worked. It's kind of like our, kind of like our three-ring circus. They had their own. We've got an executive, a legislative, and a judicial branch. They had prophet, priest, and king. Jesus comes and is the fulfillment of all three offices. And he speaks a prophetic word to the people of God when he comes. Jesus' words are pregnant with meaning and call us and course correct us in what we're doing. And they're no less prophetic to the people who receive those words gladly. Let's be honest. The world never receives the word of God gladly, but even the people of God, when the world that's still residing in us, the part of us that remains unconverted to the gospel, or at least that old Adam that's kind of kicking against the goads, doesn't want to hear some of what Jesus has to say. The words of Christ are an affront to us. They convict us even as the person of Christ and his work consoles us. Jesus' words often convict and challenge and are perplexing. We spent all last summer on the Sermon on the Mount for just that reason. But St. Paul is not averse to say that Jesus' final word is the word of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 118 is called the word of the cross. The cross is God's final word on, to humanity. God's final word on humanity's sin. Because the cross represents the death of both humanity and God. Jesus is the great fulfillment, the apex of what it means, the pinnacle of what it means to be both human and to be God. And humanity, not at its worst, but at its best, always ends up killing God, or trying, and killing each other. The communist dictator Pol Pot, 
as he lay dying. And people were coming to him and confronting him with the mess he'd made of his country. He said, you've got it all wrong. I'm the good guy. I'm bringing utopia. He murdered a third of the population of that country to bring utopia. Our best efforts are revealed by God's prophetic word to be so much dust and drivel. This is why, this is why St. Paul calls this, in our Bible translation, the word of the cross an offense. This is both in 1 Corinthians and in Galatians. But it's a, it's a translation of the Greek word scandalon, scandal. The cross scandalizes us. It scandalizes us that our best efforts are going to result in death and destruction. That our worldly philosophies are revealed to be garbage by the cross of Jesus Christ. That our desires are disordered. And that all the time we spend, most of the stuff we spend our lives thinking about, our ambitions and the power and the lust and the, the, the pleasure that we constantly seek are revealed to be just that much good aimed at the wrong thing. The scandal of the cross, the word of the cross, scandalizes us and convicts us of our sins. Reveals the things we think are the highest and the best are going to lead us astray. I love the way C.S. Lewis said this in his sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offerer of a holiday at the sea. The word of the cross, though, for those who receive it gratefully, is as 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for us who are being saved, the power of God. Yes, it convicts us of our sins. Yes, it reveals to us how unbelievably ridiculous our ambitions are. But we welcome that news because although it's not less painful for us than the world, let's face it, there's plenty of things that Jesus say, says to me that make, cause me pain and don't affirm my personal lived experience as the current lingo is. <laughs> but I welcome that pain because it's the pain of a scalpel in the hands of a skillful surgeon and its cut has the potential to bring me to health. to bring me to repentance for my sin, to an openness to receiving the real life, the abundant life that God wants to give and for which He redeems us. The word of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. And it's not just that we're being saved from our sins. We are being saved for something miraculous, something amazing, something beyond our imagination. 
as Lewis just pointed out. And our passage from Ephesians today helps us with that. It's this beautiful encapsulation of the gospel and what God is doing with us and for us. First of all, we learned that that word of the cross, the whole life of Jesus' ministry, is the Father's gift of love to us. His blessing on His errant and rebellious people. And then we learn that we're chosen, predestined by God for some amazing things, for holiness, participation in God's own life, for adoption, a share in Jesus' sonship. See, Jesus is, Jesus is part of the family. We're made part of the family through Him. For the redemption and the forgiveness of our trespasses. And here's where it gets amazing, for the knowledge of the mystery of His will. That we should have some of the mind of God revealed to us. This is what philosophers and religious people throughout the ages have been questing after. And God gives it to us as a gift in Jesus Christ. And for this inheritance that's coming this blessing in the heavenly places which we currently have, but which we'll fully realize when we are brought to glory in Jesus Christ. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit serves as the guarantee of that inheritance while we wait and labor and struggle. This is what Jesus saves us for. And all of this happens at the, at the cross. The word of the cross is both that scandal, that offense that causes us pain, and it is the promise of God that gives us hope and the power of God that gives us life. It all comes together at the cross. It just depends on what your perspective is on it. Do you have a faith that trusts in what God is doing and looks forward to receiving even the scandalous words of Jesus? The words that convict us of our sins? Or do we reject that and run away from what God has to say? We're called and given the gift of faith to receive it the first way rather than the second but it all depends on our point of view. Tom Wheeler was um, a CEO of a massive insurance company uh, in Massachusetts back in the 80s and 90s. He told a great story. He, uh, he and his wife were on vacation. They were doing a cross-country drive and uh, the car was running out of gasoline and his wife pointed this out to him and he says, okay, I'll, I'll get off at the next exit. So they got off at an exit in the middle of nowhere in the Midwest and came to this little gas station, and I mean little, like ramshackle, one pump. They weren't sure it was working, but it was the closest they had. So they pull in, and a man comes out, and Mr. Wheeler had to use the facility, so he says to him, he says, hey, um, fill her up and check the oil for me, will you please? And he goes around the corner. And well, when he comes back, he's shocked to see his wife in this really animated conversation with the guy. They're just... He's kind of perplexed. Pays the man, gets in the car, and his wife does too, and as they're driving away, he says, Honey, what was that all about? Do you know him? She says, Oh yeah, we went to high school together. Fact, we dated for a year. 
And Mr. Wheeler says, wow, you're lucky I came along, huh? I mean, if you'd married him, you'd be the wife of a, super, of a superintendent at a gas station instead of the wife of a CEO. She looked at him and said, honey, if I married him, he'd be the CEO and you'd be the gas station superintendent. <laughs> and so it is with Christ. If God did not choose us and call us into this relationship of faith, the word of the cross would be nothing but a scandal to us, a reason to give Jesus his prophet's reward. But with the eyes of faith, the perspective of faith, and knowing the inheritance we have in Jesus Christ, it becomes for us a word of life and forgiveness and the very power of God. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for our relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his love for his bride, the church, and that we are part of that. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you renew our zeal in faith and life. Help us to trust ever more fervently in your word. Let us welcome even the parts that, that seem to come at us so strong and, and hard, that convict us of our sins. Let us welcome that so that we may in repentance turn more of our lives over to you that we might be conformed to his likeness, we might grow in your grace, being transformed from one degree of glory unto another until finally you bring to a completion the work you've begun in us. This we ask in his precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. My vision, O oh Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the 